You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello and welcome to our podcast listeners for the Mission Field USA podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Steve Shave, Director of LCMS Church Planting. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, Manager of LCMS Church Planting. Hello, Mark. Hi, Steve. It's great to be here with you again. Good to have you with us. And today, our special guest is the Reverend Dr. Mark Wood, who is the LCMS Director for Witness and Outreach. Hello, Mark. Hi, Steve. Mark, it's great to be here with you. Look, I've got three doctors. And between, <laughs> us, between us, we can't I, put a Band-Aid on anybody. I purposely so. threw that in there. I usually <laughs> yeah, say pastor, yeah. but I thought, well, two things. We got all the doctors in the house, but we have two Marks. So I don't know right. if we're going to do Mark 1, Mark 2. Just, just <laughs> we'll the... figure it out. We'll stumble through it somehow. But uh, it's good to have you guys with us on this sunny uh, St. Louis February day. So there's a little bit more joy in the KFUO studios since we got our, our extra vitamin D. But we're excited about our topic, and that is, as usual, church planting, but specifically talking about witness and outreach. And typically that is referred to as evangelism, but I think we'll dive a little bit deeper into what it is to have a Christian witness and what that means for us uh, in the realm of church planting. So, Dr. Wood, um, tell us a little bit about your your department is witness and outreach. How how do you define witness and outreach? Well, that's that's a great question because when I was called to Office of National Mission, I, I said, well, what does this mean? You know, a good Lutheran question. And uh, they said, well, we just didn't want to say evangelism because it scares people. <laughs> <laughs> so... But, it, you know, the title Witness and Outreach, uh, the and in there became kind of key as I thought about it. We're talking about two different things, uh, but two related things. So I like to describe witness as the individual efforts that we make to, get, to, uh, to share God's word with people who are in our everyday lives. Uh, another way of thinking of that is it, it's the work of the church scattered. As we're scattered out into the world, into our vocations, we're individually engaging with people who don't know Christ, and we have the opportunity to share God's word with them. Our outreach is more the collective effort of the church. It's our corporate effort to gather people into the word and sacrament ministry of our congregation. Or another way of looking at it is it's the, the church when it's gathered, working together. Uh, so if you look at an event at a church, like a Oktoberfest or some kind of human care ministry. We're doing that together uh, with the hopes that we could bring the people we're serving or engaging into our word and sacrament ministry, into our spiritual life. That's, that's outreach. So keeping those two things uh, clear is really, I think, helpful uh, so that so people say, well, what is it we're trying to do and how do we equip people for it? And if we mix it all up, then people don't feel adequate uh, especially in their individual witness. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to keep them so separate that they're not working together because they do work very well together. My, the individual witness and the, and the uh, congregation's outreach coming together mm-hmm. uh, can be really powerful. Yeah, so when you begin with your core group of people to start the church plant, you can 
already be thinking ahead to how will we work together in terms of our outreach? How will we also equip people in their individual witness? It's not an and. Uh, it's not a both-and kind of a, a situation then. Right. So we don't, we don't want to say we're going to do either outreach or or witness. We're going to do both. And if we can find a way to create some synergy, can I use that word, synergy? Not theological <laughs> synergy. We will but, allow it. Yeah, very carefully. Okay. Uh, but create synergy there, or integrate our witness and our outreach. So this is especially helpful in church planning because you may start with a very small core group mm-hmm. where you feel like, well, we can't do any really outreach things. We can't. We don't have enough core. We don't have enough, you know, uh, critical mass as a group to do an event or to start a ministry. But we can do individual witnessing, mm-hmm. and and that brings more people to us. Then then you do create that that core that's strong enough now to do events or ministries that are outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might help our, our, our podcast because I think you can maybe change my name to Don Quixote because <laughs> when, it, when it comes to personal witness, uh, I completely understand you know that evangelism has kind of lost its luster as a term, mm-hmm. but that's so unfortunate because it, it means good news. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, that's the root of the word, yeah. and I, I always get frustrated with that, but I know it would probably be a fruitless effort, you know, <laughs> tilting at windmills to try and convince right. people that... You know, oh, let's use that word because I, I think it has the connotation of proselytizing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the negative part Sales. of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's too bad because what we're really doing is good newsing. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think maybe was that a Bunkowski term or something? You know, yeah. you know, yeah. you know God I bless often, him. I often it, ask people, well, when did when did the good news become bad news for exactly. Christians? Exactly. Yeah. Like, Come on, now we're, we're we're bringing life and light to the world. You know. Uh, so the way I, when I say witness and outreach, I say put the two of them together, you got evangelism. Mm-hmm. There okay. you go. Okay. And, yeah. and so, it is so true. we can use it? We can use we, it? We can use it. <laughs> you, have, yeah. you have permission to use the E word. And so. Well, if you can say synergy, I can say evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> we will allow it. But it's, it's true, though, um, Mark Larson. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm not Don. <laughs> Don. Uh, it's, it's in the history of the LCMS. You can go back like in the 50s and 60s, and they're talking about how evangelism used to be a bad word, you know, because oh, even it, in those days, even in those days, because yeah. they were concerned about the doctrinal matters uh, at the time, the, uh, the kind of salesmanship of the church. And so there, there were those uh, concerns way back when. And then there uh, programs that really said no. We're all about making sure that we get this message right, right. Uh, as we get the message out. So it, it was there early was an on. evangelism department. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And so now it's just been uh, given a fresh name, <laughs> <laughs> from what I'm hearing from and that's, uh, that's Dr. Okay. Wood. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. And it, the word evangelism, it, Mark is right. I mean, it's a great word. Mm-hmm. It bring mm-hmm. good news. But as soon as you say it. It comes with baggage. Yeah, exactly. And part yeah. of it is what you're talking about. I mean, there's how do I close the sale? Yeah. You know, how do, <laughs> how do I uh, convince somebody to believe? Yeah. Uh, if I don't do this right, you know, somebody's going to go to hell. Yeah. You know, yeah. and all the pressure and the guilt and the angst that comes along with that. Right. That kind of scared people off of even doing evangelism. Uh, so uh, using the word witness is trying to mitigate that a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, I think evangelism is still a great word, and we we shouldn't be afraid of it. And I think it's not just an internal thing. You know, we're talking about these internal angst that we mm-hmm. have with the yeah. word. But I think just in our own 
culture and society today, you know, all the talk about where you don't want to just push your beliefs off on people and people can smell through, you know, uh, if you, if this is some sort of a, you know, knocking on the door and selling me something that people will see through that. And it's not authentic and genuine. Those are the kinds of things that we hear kind of from the contextual side. So Dr. Wood, what do you have to say about this context of our kind of post-Christian world as it's called? Well, that is our reality. And this is where we're called to be witnesses of Christ. Uh, you know, maybe it was easier to be uh, a witness of Jesus back in the 50s, uh, but that's not where we are, mm-hmm. and we can't pretend that's where we are. Uh, we, we now live in a world that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith and even to the gospel. And, and there's a number of factors that I think we can see at work. Uh, one is this radical individualism in our society where people live in isolation from one another. Uh, that it makes it difficult to engage people in conversation, especially spiritual conversations. But also that an individual can make any decision, and they're all valid. Right. You know, just a hyper. Relativism, yeah. Yeah, just a, you can, uh, any decision that you make is okay. No one has the right to say it's not (laughs) good. Right. Right. Yeah. So truth is completely relative. Right. And that's part of that radical individualism. Uh, You know, the, the book that was written a number of years ago, Bowling Alone, I don't think the author could have foreseen how far this was going to go. Mm. You know, when I when I was a kid growing up, uh, we had television. Yes, television had been invented by then. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, when we watched a show like Adam 12 or something, it was an event. The whole family got together and you sat together and you watched TV and you talked about it. And now people sit in a room and, and stream Netflix yeah. alone. Yeah. You know, they, it's gone to an extreme. And, it, and that is part of why, you know, that uh, we see Christianity diminishing because Christianity is a, is a corporate faith. It's a community. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can live in isolation from other believers. It's that, you know, we're part of a body. Individual parts of the body can't be separated and live independently. And, and that's led to a lot of people falling away from the church. Yeah, yeah. And we also have um, a, a situation where People who are willing to stand up for truth, as Mark was referring back to that individual truth, if we're willing to stand up for the truth, we get labeled as haters or phobes. Uh, rather than people trying to engage what we're saying and discuss it rationally, it, everything's become this you know, ad hominem. You're just going to attack the person. I don't mm-hmm. like your message. You're a hater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you're... You know, you're trying to tell me that homosexuality is sinful. You're you're a homophobe. Mm-hmm. You know, right, right. so uh, there's not a discourse in our society anymore. There's just labeling of people. Right, right. and it's really, in my opinion, uh, kind of like from Romans one, actually suppressing the truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. is really what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and Jesus said, you know, they'll hate you because they first yeah. hated me. Right, and then then unfortunately, some of our Christian leaders have caved in to this so rather than rather than engage the culture and defend the truth they've they've embraced the culture and you know said no the truth doesn't have a place here anymore the world has changed we need to change along with it we need to be quote relevant mm-hmm. uh and they're they're abandoning the truth of god's word in order to be loved by the world mm-hmm. well as you just said jesus told us pretty point blank you know the world's going to hate you because it hates me mm-hmm. it's the only way the world's going to love us is if we distance ourselves from Christ. And that's unfortunately what's happened in the church. And so now you combine that with 
individual truth. You come with the message of the gospel. Uh, you, you come to share God's word. You've got two strikes against you right off the bat. Because you got, <laughs> this is what I believe. And, oh, by the way, these other Christians say this. Right. Why are you saying this thing? Yeah. 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 And we've, we've talked about sacramental church planning before. And I think that kind of ties into this, as you just mentioned, in our evangelism, in our invitation to people to come to worship, uh, that idea of it being corporate is foreign. It's it's kind of been seen now for a while that this is my individual thing that I and I actually had this over the holidays. I think it's kind of a good example. Somebody that's not a member of church, and you know, in in our days, as you were talking about, we went to church on Christmas. I mean, everybody did. You went Christmas and Easter at least, and it was kind of the first time for me to have somebody that was a guest at the dinner to say, "Oh, I don't need." church to worship God. You know, that's kind of this new, it's me and God. I don't really need the church as an in-between to worship God. And I think that also affects our witness of what what's going on here and how do, how do we invite people and also help them to understand it's not just, the Christian faith is not just individual, it is us corporately as the body of Christ. Right. What do you think about that? Well, it- you know, we're warned against that yeah. in Scripture for a very good reason. Uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. What happens to the branches that are cut off and are individual? You know, there's a beautiful promise of Jesus, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Mm-hmm. Do we ever think about the flip side of that? Yeah. Don't remain in me and, whoa, you're one of those branches that have been cut off. Yeah. Uh, what's really interesting is in our culture today, it is not God, the Father, the vine dresser, who's cutting people off. It's people cutting themselves off. Mm-hmm. They're choosing to separate themselves from the means of grace yeah. and, and dying. Yeah. yeah the, and you think about it, too, in the, the great banquet, the master inviting, 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 inviting until he doesn't. Right. You know, the yeah. invitation is there. Uh, we continue to, to offer them. But there will come a time where the invitation no longer is there for them. And that's that also, I think, affects us and how we witness to others, kind of that urgency of not turning down the invitation to the banquet. Yeah, and, yeah. and not to grow weary of extending that invitation, too, mm-hmm. because wh- while there's still time, yeah. while mm-hmm. it's still day, yeah. uh, we don't know. We, uh, earlier today, Steve and I were talking about the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that at the 11th hour, that invitation isn't going to be re- ex- yeah. accepted yeah. and the person enter into the kingdom. Right. We just, as witnesses, we just keep planting the seed. Right. We keep taking it back out and let God worry about the growth. <laughs> we, we plant, we water, and God God chooses to grow what he chooses to grow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're right. That could it, it could be very law-laden. I mean, I think and that's what you were talking about, people kind of shying away from this idea of evangelism because it is so heavy on your heart if you feel as if you have failed God and and that it's somehow on your shoulders that, uh, you know, somebody is not going to be at the banquet because I wasn't good enough in my invitation. Right. <laughs> who, wants, who wants that burden yeah. to think that if I do this wrong, someone's going to go to hell? Right. Uh, but instead, to, to see ourselves in the role that we properly have. We're people of good news. We're sharing that good news. The Holy Spirit works faith when and where he wills in those who hear the gospel. Uh, that's what we confess in the Lutheran Confessions. The scripture tells us, you know, faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word of God. Uh, 
we just bring that word out to people. Yeah. We can't control what happens. And uh, we, we just have the joyful task of being those sowers of good news. Yeah. Uh, and we do that in a, a very complex world. And one of the things that we face today that we didn't face 50 years ago is, is the existence of multiple worldviews existing side by side mm. in our society. Coexist. And we have no idea when we, when we engage somebody what their worldview is. Mm-hmm. It could be everything from Buddhism yeah. to secular humanism mm-hmm. to hedonism, which mm-hmm. seems to be the primary one, <laughs> to, to what I think is the most destructive worldview of all, and that's Darwinism mm. uh, and its outworkings. The, yeah. the view that we come from nothing and we're going to nothing and all there is is right now. Yeah. And let's face it, right now isn't all that great. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen I've seen those articles too, even from secular psychologists to say, even if you don't believe in an afterlife, it's better for your family to tell them there is because I mean ultimately it's just so hopeless. And I mean and you you wonder why the world keeps growing colder and more divided and more bitter. Uh, it becomes kind of a ongoing darkness that seems to shadow over us. Um, that's because there's no light, you know, for so many people that, like you said, are uh, uh, captive to this idea of Darwinism. And there really is no hope at the end of the day. There really is no joy because at the end of the day, it really didn't matter. Um, you try to make your impact in the world, but for you personally, um, there's there's nothing ahead. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Even if you do make an impact in the world, so what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it doesn't destroyed. It's all going to go wrong. <laughs> it doesn't last. Right. It doesn't have any real meaning right. to anything, anyone other than you. Right. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you came from nothing, you're going to nothing. Everything you do doesn't really matter. You're here as a result of billions of years of accidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a nice day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Even in terms of Christian outreach, I mean, I, I've seen some really amazing human care, revitalization, you know, different different things that have really impacted a neighborhood or a community, especially even in our inner cities. But at, at the end of the day, like we're saying, if it's these temporal things, I mean, that's great that we gave somebody a place to live. That's that's basic needs that Jesus tells us that we need to help our neighbor by loving them and providing for these things if they're in need. So if they're hungry, if they're naked, if they're living out in the cold, you know, those are those things. But right, if it ultimately isn't tied back to our actual witness, which then leads them into their eternal dwelling place, the the wedding garment in their baptism, the the food and the water of life that God gives to us that are eternal things, um, ultimately then we, we've lost. So, yeah, as you've said, it's not the either or. Even for us as Christians, we want to reach out. We want to also include this witness because ultimately for us, we care for them temporally. I mean, I remember in one of my seminary classes, the professor saying it's very hard to tell someone God loves them as you're stepping over their starving body and not giving them, you know, and providing for them when you could have. That that makes it a challenge. And I think it's not just the words, um, but I think people also recognize that we, we sometimes don't uh, live uh, according to the words that we speak. And I think that's that's part of that. But ultimately, it's not a shallow caring for people in the body without thinking of the eternal things and ultimately that this is about giving a witness of the gospel. 
Uh, this Mark. is maybe uh, chain, uh, shifting lanes just a little bit, <clears throat> but you know, you talked about Darwinism. You're going from nothing, or you came from nothing, and you're going to nothing. But it seems to me that a particular challenge of living in a post-Christian society, as a as opposed to a pre-Christian society, is people still presume everyone goes to heaven, hmm. or most hmm. Americans do. That you know that yeah. you know people still believe in an afterlife, and so. Um, I've been trying to teach my congregation, uh, you know, when we hear that somebody dies, our natural reaction is to say <laughs> they're in a better place or they went to heaven or something like that, mm-hmm. even if we don't know that that's true, yeah. and maybe even sometimes when we know that it's not. Yeah. So I don't, so yeah, that's Dr. True. Mark, what are you going to do with that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, so, I, actually, it's a witnessing opportunity when somebody dies yeah. uh, to, to, uh, to engage someone in a conversation. So rather than making statements, what I, I encourage people to do is listen and ask questions mm-hmm. uh, and and don't make any pronouncements of where this person is. Rather than focus on the deceased person, focus on the living person. Oh, yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. good advice. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's I'm a good person. Like you said, the mm-hmm. majority of uh, us are so kind of narcissistic to begin with, and we're all about getting our follows and our likes and all the rest of it. So it does make sense that in our context today, just about everyone would say that, well, of course, if there is really an afterlife, I'll be there because I'm a good person. Right. I know even in my own uh scenario as a field worker at the seminary i was sent to uh, visit people that were in hospice and i met a guy who said i'm not a good person he said i'm a horrible person he was a a, a rotten curmudgeon and that's a better place to start probably (laughs) you know (laughs) but the the deeper i dug into it i found out all the trauma that had happened in this guy's life and then according to what happened to him he had these kind of patterns of harm harming others and being harmed all and you know anyway so he's convicted and he was he thought that god was going to be so happy when he ended up in hell Mm -hmm. you know but no one had ever witnessed to him about the gospel you know the law was fine but what was funny to me was that his wife was a saint because this guy was a rotten curmudgeon and he was really (laughs) but his wife just doted over him cared for him stuck it out with him um you know just a wonderful human being and guess what she thought in terms of going to heaven guys she would be going to heaven because she had been such a saintly good person that that's why so it was so weird for me that you just looked at it on the surface you would think i need to go hammer this guy with the law because everybody complains about what a jerk he is and then his (laughs) wife is just the most wonderful saint and for me to kind of diagnose like oh man he really needs the gospel and she really needs the law (laughs) in this situation but i think Again, the majority of people, though, today are in the other camp that, of course, I'll be going to heaven because I'm such a wonderful human being. And I've done this and that to save the environment or puppies or whatever it might be. But whatever it is, I'm sure I meet the criteria. It sounds like like the... uh, that vignette from uh, The Hammer of God by Bo Gertz. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's exactly like yeah. that. So, <laughs> listeners, if you Good haven't point. read that book, yes. do. Yeah. It's very, That's very, very powerful. Helpful. Yeah. Well, you know, the the resource that we've created to equip people for witnessing in, in our post-Christian world is called Everyone is Witness. Mm-hmm. And it, it uses an approach to witnessing that uh, there's an acronym. I was in the Air Force. I'm an Air Force trained acronymist. I'm sorry, but I had an acronym. You know, when I I first created started creating this some almost 20 years ago, 
I started with an acronym, uh, and it's Lassie. And it stands for listen, ask, seek, share, invite, encourage. And so it, I think, you're, Steve, that story you shared is a great example of why we need to start by listening and asking. We, we can't assume anything. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of the reasons that evangelism efforts from the past don't work well in today's context. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and there's any number of them. I've been trained in some of, you know, friendship evangelism, the master's plan, mm-hmm. dialogue evangelism, which was a version of evangelism explosion. Mm-hmm. Any one of those you can, you can see has its shortcomings in today's context because most of, for the most part, they assumed f- familiarity with Christianity. Yeah. Yes, they did. And yeah, that definitely. doesn't, ex- that doesn't exist anymore. True. You know, we have all these different worldviews. We have all these distorted ideas. And to Mark's point, you know, the pre-Christian culture didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> a post-Christian culture does. Sure. Because it's people's attitude is like, oh, we tried that Christianity thing. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's failed. It's bad. dead. It's gone. I need something new. I need something different. And it's led to universalism. Yes. Yeah. And if, yeah. and, uh, and something I, I refer to among us, and one of, one of the reasons I think the Lutherans don't witness we've embraced a sort of functional universalism where theologically we know, oh no, salvation comes only by grace through faith, uh, you know, in Jesus Christ, not everybody's saved. But then when it comes to practice, you know, your uncle dies. Oh, he's in a better place, right? (laughs) We're all going to be saved. It's all going to work out. God's love wins. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so even among, even among us, we, we find this Universalism has worked its way into our thinking because it is hard. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And then uh, the other the other challenge of trying to use the evangelism approaches of the past in today's culture and context is they focus on things that people don't care about. Mm. You know, if if I were to ask you today, you know, if you were to die tonight and have to stand before God and and He asked you why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Well, people look at you like. Well, I don't care about that stuff. You know, what, heaven, God, look, I've got a beautiful house. I've got a great job. I've got a wonderful family. I got two cars. I got a, a, a annual pass to Disney World. God, heaven, afterlife, that stuff's not on my radar. Yeah. I don't care about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so we're not, we're not asking the right questions when we approach that from our perspective we have to understand the other person's perspective yeah and um and as i mentioned before these these uh approaches of the past also depended on community mm-hmm. you know we we could go and talk to one another because we were part of a community now when you show up on someone's front door unannounced <laughs> <laughs> well anything can happen yeah um, <laughs> yeah and not a lot of good things yeah and and I think one of the one of the chief things that those past approaches counted on that we can't do anymore is they they uh, they there was room to offend people. Mm-hmm. You know, you could bring up something that troubled someone, but still have a civil conversation. Today, if you offend somebody at all, you know, if you tell someone you're a sinner, oh my gosh, you know, what's the reaction you're going to be? They're going to flame you on social media. They're going to, you know, <laughs> yeah. all sorts of things like that are going to happen. There's no room to offend anybody anymore. Uh, and uh, and then they te- also tended to treat everyone as the same. Mm-hmm. One size fits all. Yeah. You know, and, and it came with scripts. Yeah. And you had to memorize the scripts. And 
And those those approaches just aren't going to work in today's context. Yeah, I, I think the word that you use too, though, is effective. Because I don't, I mean, as a, a church planner myself, I mean, I, I did do some cold calling on families that had some sort of connection somehow. And I would invite them and say, you know, hey, hey I'm going to remember your name. And if you come to church, you know, I'm going to uh, make sure that you feel welcome and all that. And it was kind of a cold call because I really didn't know them before that. And people did come. I mean, I remember one time I called on about eight families and maybe six of them came. And I thought, you know, hey, that's that's, phenomenal. that's good. <laughs> you know, um, and then also we did the vacation Bible school. So we did the door hangers and we knocked on doors and invited people mm-hmm. uh, to come to our vacation Bible school. for. The, and we did. We got the, like you said, Mark, you're not welcome in this neighborhood and don't knock on doors and don't bother me. We got some of that, but we also had some families that did end up sending their kids to the, the VBS. And then we also had times where we would go out and kind of survey the neighborhood to find out, hey, what are some things that we could get involved with to uh, you know, we've got a church that's starting here, and we want to make sure that we're helping in the community. And we'd ask them, like, what are some things that we could do? And, you know, some of that turned out well, too. And you'd get some people that came. Um, but I would not say, I wouldn't not do that, but I wouldn't say that was most effective either. Right. I mean, I would say when it comes to effectiveness, and I hear that 75% of people who do come to church, it's because it's with somebody that has an actual genuine relationship with them inviting them to come to church. So I wouldn't say you don't do these other things, but on the other hand, if you're talking about, well, what's going to be most effective, it's not just the pastor or mission developer or church planner's job doing cold calls Mm -hmm. as much as it will be your core group of people establishing these relationships, being able to give a witness so what do you think is the effectiveness in terms of it being these individual people then? Yeah, and, that, and that's a good point, Steve, because I often say there's no one right way to do evangelism. Okay. It's all driven by context. Mm-hmm. So you may be in a community where you can still go and knock on doors, and, and, and that could be ineffective. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, but you may also be in a community that knocking on someone's door on a cold call is like a, a criminal offense in people's <laughs> yeah. minds. I Literally. Mean, no, it, no, it can be illegal. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so what you have to do is you have you know assess the cultural norms yeah. of, of the people that you're seeking to engage. Yeah. You know, what's acceptable, mm-hmm. what's going to be received well and what's not. Uh, look at the nature of the relationships you already have with people. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a brand new church in a community, you don't have any existing relationships so that, that's that's a challenge. But the people in your church, the core group, they do have relationships. Hmm. And that's where that integrating that individual witnessing with the outreach of the congregation is really powerful. Yeah. And then uh, look at past experiences, too. You know, if you've if you've been in a, a neighborhood where you've done some canvassing mm-hmm. and people receive that well mm-hmm. to go back and doing evangelism calls could very well work. Right. Uh, right. And then. Uh, and then also look at the religious landscape of, of that community, too. Uh, what we talked about earlier are general statements about American society. You may be in a pocket of, of people who are highly de-churched but don't have a particularly negative view of the Christian faith. And they may be far more open to having a conversation right off the bat. But you may be in an area uh, that Christianity is, is an unknown. Yeah. 
and, and you're going to have a different approach in order to reach those people. So what, what may be effective in one setting may be totally ineffective in another. Yeah. And uh, so you have to know the landscape. You yeah. have to know the people. Yeah, and I think um, regardless, though, in terms of effectiveness, um, if it doesn't seem natural, you know what I mean? If it just seems like you, you're showing up at the door and it is kind of scripted, and I think that's what we were getting at earlier is, you know, when it does seem just kind of salesman people can read through that stuff. I mean, especially young people and I think our millennial generation. I think they're very good at kind of sniffing out that this – this is just kind of not natural or genuine or authentic or right. does, do you really care about me as a, a person? I think regardless, if it just seems completely off you know, script kind of thing, you're not going to have much effect. Is that fair to say? Well, yes. Uh, Pew Research a few years ago did a study uh, by surveying people who are not Christians and what do they think of the Christian church. And one of the things that came out of that that really stuck with me was uh, the non-Christians were looking at Christians saying, all they care about me is that they win me. They don't care about me as a person. Yeah. They look at me as someone to conquer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I call it putting your notch on your Bible. You know, <laughs> right. I won me one. Uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, there's enough of that going on among Christians who are active in evangelism to have it. It's, it's, a, it's true. Yeah. You know, people do see it that way. And so we use the word proselytizing, you know, I don't think proselytizing in and of itself is a bad word. We want people to go from unsaved to saved. <laughs> right. But it certainly, has a, yeah, it certainly has a negative connotation, and yeah. that connotation is just that. Yeah. I don't care about you as a person. I just need to win you. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, we, we have to be guarded against that. Let's care about people as people. Yeah. And again, this is a way, a place where witness and outreach work well together. Mm-hmm. If you're caring for people through a, an outreach of your congregation, especially if it's mercy work or human care, yeah. uh, or even just providing a place of, for uh, social interchange mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a world void of community activities, yeah. you know, you're showing you care about people as people. Right. And then the individual witnessing as those individual relationships develop through that outreach, uh, you know, help bring the word of God to people in a way that they they can hear it, they can yeah. receive it. And they, I think people sense your own joy. So, you know, yeah. right, so you're, look, you're looking at remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and you're thinking about this strictly in law, and I'm going to go knock on your door because you don't take your kids to church, so I'm going to come hammer you with the law and tell you, like, God has commanded this, and you're going to go to hell, and your kids are going to go to hell and that's you know uh the word of god and yet what if you told them about your own when i go to worship and what happens for me and how i receive these gifts and because of what i know of and what i experience in worship uh wild horses couldn't drag me from wanting to be there but for them to see that actual joy and that this is a real thing to you and you want them to experience that same joy and hope that they see, even when you do have bad days and struggle or just lost a loved one and, you know, it's not all just sunshine and rainbows, but when they see that you still have this hope and this joy, people will recognize that in you. And I think, too, um, you know, we're kind of given what the bleakness is of our society. I mean, we're decaying, dying spiritually and all these things. And it sounds 
terrible and people will say, well, why, why do we need to worry about new mission? Why do we need to worry about evangelizing people? Everyone's just given up on the church and nobody wants to listen. And I don't think that's true. I mean, because what you're describing, especially with human care, I think about, I'm pretty sure that there's somebody in a nursing home right now that's lonely. I'm pretty sure there's somebody in prison right now that is just racked with guilt beyond compare. I'm pretty sure that there's somebody who's been abused that is just broken and hurting and needs someone to come and tell them some good news. I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are still people who want to hear this good news, but no one is coming to them in the margins and the grit and the complications and the difficulties and getting into the muck and the mire of a really sin-filled world, you know, for whatever it is that they're going through, I'm pretty sure there are still people out there who need to hear the gospel. And and there definitely are, and they're not just out there. They're right here among us. There are <laughs> our friends. Yep. There are coworkers. Yep. There are family members. Yep. There are people living next door. You know, that you look at things like, you hear the stories about people who die alone, hmm. you know, and you think, oh, that's terrible. But, you know, that, that hit really close to home. Uh, I have uh, my stepfather's brother uh, passed away a couple years ago. He wasn't feeling well. It was right after Christmas, and he couldn't make the family Christmas party. And his uh, his nephew went and got him some medication, and he took it. And no one heard from him for a while. And finally somebody thought to check in on him a month later. Mm. He had oh been dead a month, wow. and nobody knew it. Yeah. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking to think, you know, that there are people who are living in such isolation from one another yeah. that they, a month can go by before anyone even notices that they're missing. Yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, there's many cases like that. You know, when you look at the, 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 the rates of depression mm-hmm. in our culture yep. and anxiety, yep. the, you know, it, we don't have to go very far at all. Right. Uh, and we just need to be aware. Yep. And so when we talk about witnessing, I, I like to describe it in, you know, in, in kind of f- with terms like it, it's contextual, mm-hmm. it's relational, mm-hmm. uh, it's really meant to be natural and yeah. joyful. Yeah. So you look at those words, you know, contextual, it, the message we have never changes. You know, it's the Word of God. But how we deliver it, how we bring it to people, that, that's very much contextualized. You know, uh, how we share the gospel today is different than how we shared it 50 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, different than, you know, 100, 200 years ago. It, it'll be different 50 years from now because our context is always changing. And uh, and don't, don't it's, that's not just something that's a, a function of society. That's also something that the enemy is doing. Mm. He's constantly changing the rules of the game so to speak <laughs> uh he's always fighting against the gospel going out sure. and and look at what he's done in our society he's mm-hmm. destroyed the very fabric of our culture all in an attempt to keeping the word of god from reaching people yeah and it's it, he's been masterful very masterful and successful yeah in his efforts yeah. and, and so let's understand this is the spiritual warfare that it actually is yeah that when we start a new church, when we go out into a community with the gospel, we're going to be up against an enemy who has wrongfully claimed that community as his own mm-hmm. and doesn't want to give up any of that ground. But we know that this 
community, like all communities, belong to our God and King. And we're here to reclaim that which rightfully belongs to our God. And, uh, and so it's a, a spiritual counterinsurgency, <laughs> you know, and we need to be on the ground out there, you know, engaging people yeah. in that context. Yeah. Yeah. And that's done through relationships. Yep. People aren't going to uh, engage with us just because we're pounding on their door. They, they may be polite enough to listen to us, but it really takes a relationship mm-hmm. to, uh, to get into the serious spiritual conversation that's going to open the doors for us to tell them about Christ. And in that conversation, we need to be very, uh, very willing to listen, spend a lot of time listening mm-hmm. to understand where they're coming from, what is the context here. Because in a radically individualized culture like ours, the context is shifting all over the place. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you can live right next door to somebody and they can have a completely different worldview which creates a whole different context for witnessing. Sure. And so in the, the community that we lived in in Florida before coming to St. Louis, there were there were uh, 68 homes in this community. And I think we, were, we only knew of one other Christian couple out of those 68 homes. And uh, on, a, on a national holiday, our house was the only house that had an American flag up. Our next door neighbors flew the Puerto Rican flag uh, because that's where they were from. Yeah. But they, they came from Puerto Rico. His father was a, well, a Pentecostal preacher who, who was just immersed in the law and turned him away from the church. And he hated everything to do with the church hmm. and especially hated me because I was a pastor. <laughs> you know, across the street from him was a, a Hindu family. They, they owned a, an insurance agency. Uh, across the street the other way was the other Christian couple we knew. And they were Baptists, so, but they're still Christians, <laughs> but they were Baptists. Right. Next to them was a, a Sikh family. There were three generations of Sikhs living mm-hmm. in this house together, yeah. which is part of their custom and worldview. Oh, yeah. you know, and across the street from them was a lapsed Lutheran living together with a lapsed Roman Catholic. You know, look at all those different contexts right there in around one house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... So witnessing is always contextual and it's relational because I have to get to know the people and, and to understand how do I bring God's word to them. Mm-hmm. And, and when I do bring God's word to them, it should be part of a natural part of our lives together. We should be able to talk about God's word the way we talked about yesterday's Super Bowl or, you know, who. You know what prospects the Cubs have in 2020. It's looking good. Looking good. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. <laughs> you know, it, it comes up naturally. I don't. I'm not forcing it into the conversation. Uh, and the more the the stronger our relationship is with a person, the more they're going to see, as you mentioned earlier, Steve, the hope that's within us. So, mm-hmm. so First Peter 3:15 says, "But always be ready to give a defense." an explanation of the hope that's within you. But what's the next part? With gentleness. With gentleness, gentleness and respect. respect yeah. Come on, guys. Lassie. Who's more gentle and respectful <laughs> than Lassie? <laughs> so um, so that's a natural part. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not saying, okay, next Tuesday I'm gonna go out from five to seven and be an evangelist. Yeah. You're an evangelist twenty four seven as you carry on your everyday life in in the context of the vocations that God has called you to with the people he's put into your life. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go create artificial relationships. Uh, God's already woven these people right into your life. And and being a witness should just be natural part of that, those relationships. Mm -hmm. 
And then don't forget the joyful part. Uh, we talked about that a little earlier. This is not some burden Christ has laid on us and said, well, here's, here's another layer of cross for you to bear. You have to go tell people good news. Uh, no, it's, it's meant, and look at the joy that God has in this. Uh, I often point people to Luke 15, you know, where, where Jesus is, is showing us how much joy there is that when something that's lost is found. And, and what's the greatest joy God expresses throughout the scripture? When he's reconciled with his people. It doesn't matter how unfaithful they've been, how many gods they've gone after. You know, when he restores them and, and they're back in right relationship, God is joyful. Mm. And so he's calling us, share in that joy. You know, go out with this good news for people who are literally dying around you mm-hmm. and and bring them life and light and and rejoice. You know, you know, so and Jesus doesn't keep that joy to himself, does he, in Luke 15? In each of those three parables, it always rejoice with me. Rejoice <laughs> All with me. heaven, uh, yeah. 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 So, so think of witnessing as that opportunity to share in the joy of Christ. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of a better gospel motivation to be a witness than that. Yeah, and how invitational it is. So I think, you know, it, it's so important for us. We're talking about effectiveness and the importance of new mission, new new mission to new people and new places. It's effective in reaching the lost in these new communities. It's, you know, going to give you a, a huge diverse group of people that you're you're witnessing to. There's all sorts of reasons for, for doing this. But I also think, as you're saying, to take away some of the the fear in this is just how invitational this is. So, you know, when I was a church planter, when we went to this uh, you know, a g- group of people coming out of prison that were in a halfway house, and we witnessed to them. And, you know, I'd have a guy that had this wrong mindset that God God wants me to get my act cleaned up, and, you know, I really appreciate what you're saying, and once I get things together, I'm going to come visit that church of yours instead of, no, come before Christ to to be healed and to be cleansed. And, you know, it, it was so invitational. It's just he didn't know he was invited. You know, for me, that's what it really came down to is he didn't know that he'd already been invited to the wedding banquet um, and nobody had given him that invitation because they did look on this guy and say, I don't know what to do with this person. He's he's a wretched sinner, you know. Do I, do I invite him uh, to come to this banquet? Yes. So... We do need to be about mission. We do need to reach the lost. But we also remember that, again, the mass majority of people that are going to come into this new church plant, someone will have established that kind of real relationship with them and made that invitation for them to come and to see Christ and to understand, you know, I'm just a miserable, rotten sinner myself, but let me tell you what, Christ has done for me, and this is where it happens. This is this is where Christ comes for me uh, every, every Sunday morning, and then invite them to that. So I I think um, as you're saying that it's it's important that we understand the context. It's important that we understand the the importance of the relationship, uh, and and also the the joy that we have in just being those servants who are sent out into the dark alleys and the streets to make the invitation to come and see Jesus. 
Yeah, that parable is, is something we talk about in Everyone is Witness, uh, the dimensions of that. We're inviting people to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Mm. You know, and, and look at the king who sends out his servants to do his invitation. He says, he sends them out, and, and all the people who, you know, if you know the parable, all the people who ought to be there, all the normal people, they're, they're excluded now by their own choice. And there's all this room in the wedding banquet. And the king says, my wedding hall will be filled, right? <laughs> and yeah. he sends them out. And what does it say? It's a very interesting order of things. But send them out to invite all people, bad and good. Yeah. The opposite of what we yeah. would do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, good, the good person. Oh, there's still more room. Let's go get some bad people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bad or good, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But the other dimension there that often gets overlooked is we're not just talking about the eschatological wedding banquet, the mm-hmm. future, yeah. the heaven. Yeah. We're inviting them to the wedding banquet here and right. now yep. as we gather around the pulpit and the altar, yep. as we as we join the lamb and his feast, mm-hmm. you know, we get that, that wedding feast takes place in word and sacrament. Yeah. And we want people to enjoy it now yeah. as well as for all eternity. Yeah. And so the, you know, you alluded to uh, the first witness in the New Testament uh, it is, is Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he goes and finds his brother Peter and yeah. says, come and see come Jesus. And see. Then look at the next witness. <laughs> You know, it's Philip. Yeah. He goes to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, "I have all these reasons why this can't be the Messiah. Yeah, yeah. just come and see. <laughs> just come and see. Yeah, you know. And and sometimes our witness is that simple. Yeah, yeah. You know, there is there is something I'm excited about because it's so wonderful. Yeah. Come and see. Yeah. And uh, but notice there's relationship there already sure. in both those instances. Sure. And uh, so you can't just stand on a street corner screaming at people, "Come and see." <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. And so in a in a church planning situation, this is where, you know, core equipping the core group is so important to be able to witness in this contextual relational way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, you know, these are the, the church itself is not yet established. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to do outreach. Yeah. We're dependent more on witness. But more than that, the the members of our core group are going to be reaching into a community far further. Yeah than we would be able to as an entity. Yeah. You know, the reach of the church as an entity is getting smaller and smaller, but the reach of our members goes far beyond what we can do collectively. Yeah. And and to your point earlier, look at the diversity of people that are in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we you know, we have a reputation of being a homogenous church body for yeah. some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> just because statistically Stats. we're you know but and so if we keep functioning as only as a unit, only as an entity, we're just going to keep reaching the same kind of people. But if, if we're witnessing in the, in the world that God is, where God has put us, there's a whole wide diversity of people that we're engaging. Mm-hmm. So witness working together with outreach is a key to reaching a diverse population. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and there will be that. We know heaven's going to be filled with all kinds of people. Right. We'd love to see that in the church on earth as well. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's a community where you're going to have all sorts of sinners. And so, as you said, the bad and the good, I mean, it goes on to talk about the worst. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, when it's talking about the blind and the lame and the poor, I mean, those are the most marginalized who are looked on, down on as apparently these are the worst sinners because all these horrible things have befallen them. So it's making a, a, a point there about these are the worst of the worst. This is the bottom of the barrel. And it's interesting, as you said, in our vocations, like I can go and be a tutor here. I can go volunteer at the hospital here. I can go do visits in the prison. I mean, throughout all the different vocations that we can have in our communities uh, to reach uh, down into the margins, God gives us so many different opportunities to meet people. And as you said, too, even with some of these kind of human care activities, it will give you uh, a chance to meet people you wouldn't otherwise have ever met or been able to establish a relationship. You wouldn't have ever just bumped into this person on the street except for the fact that there is some sort of activity of human care that has now given you this opportunity to establish the relationship with this person and real and valid and genuine love for them, but you might otherwise not have had a chance to meet. But that's what God does through this kind of doctrine of vocation as he he gives us all sorts of opportunities to get into the muck and mire of the lives of sinners in the community, even the most marginalized or, you know, looked down on, for sure. Yeah, and, and vocations really do bring us in contact with a wide variety of people. Uh, you know, and the gospel is for all people in, in whatever status they hold in society. Right. So we, you know, we, we would like, you know, healthy, wealthy people to know Jesus, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? they, they were the ones that they sent the servant out. Right. Yeah. yeah, but they, they need the gospel. Yeah, they this do. Is one of, when I started a church in Florida— uh, we were criticized a little bit because we were we positioned the church a, alongside of a master plan community. Yeah. And the, the average household income in this community was well above the state average. Yeah. It, it was an affluent community. Mm-hmm. And um, and I said, well, you know, rich people need Jesus too. <laughs> I mean, we're not going after them because they have money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this is a harvest field that's white. Yeah, yeah. For oh, harvest. And just because they have a nice house and two cars and the annual pass to Disney World, they still need Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, whatever our vocations take us. Right. Those are the people God wants us to be witnesses to. And it, and again, kind of that uh both and thing. I think right. it's fascinating. Some of the activities I've seen go on, especially in the inner city, where it's focused on reaching maybe the poor. Guess who is very attracted to that? It is the young urbanite. It is the person who wants to make an impact. They see that, oh, this is the church genuinely loving their neighbor, right. even, you know, the caring for the least. They they are then attracted to that too. So I, I think you're absolutely right. The invitation is for everybody. Um, there are opportunities where you're reaching out to one group of people and it connects with other groups of people so right. it's it's very natural yeah and so vocation it ends up being like a a, a stone tossed into a pond it's a ripple <laughs> right. that goes out right because and where where else in our society do you see this but in the church where somebody who you know who has a net worth of millions of dollars mm-hmm. sits down alongside of somebody yeah. yep. who's living paycheck for paycheck yeah. and they're both receiving the same good gifts right they're both sitting there in need of the same thing yeah 
you know, and, and have come to that one place to find where it could be found. For centuries. Yeah. This is kings next to paupers right. receiving the same bread of life. And, being and not to be ashamed that you're one or the other yep. because God has called us into vocation. Right. You know, and if my vocation is being that day laborer, I'm going to reach people that that rich guy could never reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Likewise, that rich guy is going to be reaching people that I could never even get in contact with. Yep. So, yeah. Let's not look at this from a worldly point of view yeah, yeah. and use worldly measures, right, right. but trust that the Lord has put us in the vocations where he has, primarily for the reason that we reach people with the good news of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, we're, we are the body of Christ. There's neither rich nor poor. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's what God says in his word about us being that united together. And Jesus' own prayer for that kind of unity that across cultural you know, ethnic, uh, socioeconomic that we are, you know, and the world will see us and know us by our love, that we are that united together as the body of Christ. And that's that's what we love to see in church plants. And I think you do see that quite frequently in church plants. You know, you see that kind of unity and diversity and, and what it is to be the body of Christ as you see this thing growing uh, naturally through the work of the gospel. So we do want to thank... Uh, Pastor Wood, again, for being our guest with us today. Um, want to point out that we do have a church uh, planting resource. Uh, you can find it at lcms.org slash churchplanting. And, you know, it not only talks about kind of the fundamentals and some of the theological background of what it is to to be about church planting, but also gives a kind of a clear path and, and nuts and bolts from start to finish uh, but it's split up in a framework of witness, mercy, and life together. And a big part of the witness, and not only getting the word out about your new church plant, but about how do you equip your core group of people to, in their daily vocations, go out and witness. And we um, we certainly have a, a great connection uh, with our witness and outreach department, and we point people uh, immediately to everyone has witnessed. So we want to, you know, give uh, Dr. Wood the plug there <laughs> that if you if you're interested in new missions, make sure you avail yourself of this resource. It really is a wonderful way to equip your people to be about witness in your everyday vocations and to make them uh, feel comfortable that uh, this is not a daunting task. This truly is a joy to be able to tell others and to reach the lost with the gospel. So again, uh, Mark Larson, (laughs) thanks for being with me, brother. My pleasure. And thank you, Dr. Wood, for joining us today. It's been great. We'll have to do it again. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.